Well, good morning, everybody. Hello. Thanks, Rob. Oh. <laughs> oh, wow. That's it, then. I don't need to say anything, do I? <laughs> no, thank you. It's, as always, a privilege to be sharing some thoughts with you from the Word this morning as we've been thinking around this theme of Arise and Shine. So I'm just going to pray before we start. Lord, we thank you for your presence with us this morning. We thank you for the sweetness of your presence. And Lord, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for its power to change and to transform our lives. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us today through your word and by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been looking at this kind of this key theme of arise and shine, and I was reading this scripture in the Amplified Bible, and I just want to read it to you now. It says, arise from spiritual depression to a new life. Shine, be radiant with the glory and the brilliance of the Lord, for your light has come, and the glory and the brilliance of the Lord has risen upon you. For in fact, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness will cover the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory and his brilliance will be seen on you. And as I read those words, I was just struck with the sense that we have something that the world needs. This light shining in the darkness. We have something that the world needs. And that's why it's so important for us to share our story, our testimony, in the places that God has placed us. Isaiah makes it clear that the situation is bleak, that darkness will cover the earth and the peoples. And so I just wanted to take a little bit of a step back, first of all, and I was thinking around this theme of darkness, because it's really interesting to me that there are things that happen to us in a physical sense when we're in darkness for a long time. And let me expand on that. There have been studies done at various times that have shown that if we are in a dark place, for example, in caves or a mine for a prolonged period of time, um, it affects our behavior, that we might be more likely to lie or to cheat, um, or more likely to make mistakes, or even to see things that we don't normally see. And I came across a journal article, a scientific journal article, entitled, In Broad Daylight, We Trust in God, The Salience of Morality and Ethical Behavior. And in this study, they took two groups of people um, they put some of them kind of into a underground for a few days and kept the others just moving on with their normal life above ground. And the group that were in the darkness basically got up to no good. <laughs> and uh, they discovered that, as they, as they put it here, they made different choices. There was less of that ethical behavior. So there's something very tangible about being in physical darkness. But there's also this understanding of the importance of light and darkness in our, in our bodies and our natural rhythms. And uh, there's an area of the brain called the suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is in our like, brain's control center. And when light comes into our eyes, that activates an internal clock, if you like, from that nucleus, which then sends signals to the rest of the brain to start waking up the body. And if we don't have that, then our body clocks can go into chaos. And long term, it can affect our moods, our hormones, and even our growth. And what was interesting was that these researchers were writing with such fascination and some surprise about the impact of light and darkness. But as people who know God, we're not surprised at all, are we? Genesis 1 tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. 
And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. So there are no surprises here, then. What these scientists are discovering makes complete sense. Before we were created, there was darkness, and the God who called the light out of the darkness, who ordained the times and seasons, who set our planet and our solar system into being, is the same God that created us, created us to need that stimulus of light to help set us into the rhythms of the world in which he has created us. And I start with that because I think it's good for us to always have a reminder that this is the God of the universe that we're talking about. John 1 tells us that in the beginning, God, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God himself. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made and came into existence through him, and without him not even one thing was made that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines on in the darkness, and the darkness does not overpower it. And light is visible and evident in places of darkness, of course. And one of the things that I find most stressful, confession moment here, is when we, we rehearse here for um, the worship team on a Thursday evening, and there comes the moment where we have to lock up the building. And the reason I find it stressful is I will think that we've switched off all of the lights, and invariably there will be just some light flickering somewhere. And you've got to try and trace where it is. The thing is, it's usually a very small, a very insignificant light. But as soon as the rest of the building is plunged into darkness, I can follow that source of light and find exactly where it is. Because even the smallest light dispels the darkness. If we are the light of the world, as Jesus says that we are, then surely we are called in big ways and in small ways to be in places of darkness. We don't need more light where there's already lots of light, do we? And it's great to be together. It's great to come together on a Sunday and midweek as God's people. And those can often feel like the mountaintop moments, but we're not called to stay there. So we don't need to come and just live in this church building together. We're called to be in the dark places. And for most of us, that's in our Monday to Saturday. It's in our schools, our colleges, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our communities, our families. That's where God's light can shine the brightest. And as worshippers of him, that's what we are called to do, that we would be radiant, as it says, that the brilliance of God's glory would be evident to those around us. So while it's good to come together, we need to be in the places where God's light can shoot, truly shine the brightest. And so we go from this big picture thinking, this huge God of the universe who holds the balance of light and darkness, to sort of zoom in on you and me here in Derby in 2023. And as we've been looking at these verses, I've been thinking about the fact that there are some situations and seasons of life where it can feel much harder to arise and shine, and that the Lord must know this. I wondered if there have been some of us that have been thinking, you know, how can I arise and shine right where I am in the middle of real hardship or struggle? Maybe you've been thinking, I would love to reach out to my neighbors, my colleagues, my friends, but I'm just in the middle of a really tough time right now. I'm in the middle of depression. I'm in the middle of treatment. I'm in the middle of grief. I'm in the middle of redundancy. I'm in the middle of a relationship breakdown. There is darkness covering my life right now. 
How can I still arise and shine? Why should I still arise and shine? Undoubtedly, these life events can stop us in our tracks. And I know that everyone in this room will have faced all sorts of things, grief, loss, heartache, abuse, relationship breakdowns, devastation. Where do we take all of that? How can we arise and shine in the middle of darkness? How can we arise and shine in the valley of the shadow of death? And should we? Is it even something that God should ask of us? Well, having wrestled and grappled with it, I firmly believe that yes, we can still arise and shine in the middle of those trials. And we should keep sharing our testimony in the middle of those trials because our light has come. And in fact, it has very little to do with us and everything to do with God, our Heavenly Father. So this morning, I want to give us just three simple reasons why we can arise and shine right where we are, even in the middle of the darkness. And the first is this, that we can arise and shine because God is our comforter. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 6 says, All praises belong to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for he is the Father of tender mercy and the God of endless comfort. He always comes alongside us to comfort us in every suffering so that we can come along so alongside those who are in any painful trial. We can bring them this same comfort that God has poured out upon us. And just as we experience the abundance of Christ's own sufferings, even more of God's comfort will cascade upon us through our union with Christ. If troubles weigh us down, that just means we will receive even more comfort to pass on to you for your deliverance. For the comfort pouring into us empowers us to bring the same comfort to you. And with this comfort upholding you, you can endure victoriously the same suffering that we experience. God is the God of endless comfort. Why would we need endless comfort unless there were to be ongoing trials and suffering? I think the language of this passage is so encouraging to us as we think about being able to arise and shine. First of all, just knowing that we will never reach our comfort quota, that God is in fact the author of comfort and he will uphold us. If you feel like you've had more than your fair share of suffering, then know that his comfort for you is endless. May it cascade upon you and enable you to keep going. And with that comfort you receive, you will be empowered to shine his light into the dark places of other people's lives. As he fills us with his comfort, so we, we are empowered and strengthened to comfort others. And what's so beautiful to me about this is who we are approaching. Isaiah refers to Jesus, the coming saviour, as a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. So when he is the one who is comforting us, we know that he understands. Job 5.11 says, The lowly he sets on high, and those who mourn are lifted to safety. And Psalm 40, 2 to 3 says, He turned to me and lifted me up out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Many will see and hear and put their trust in the Lord. When I think about what this comfort looks like, I picture a Tough Mudder competition. Has anyone ever done one before? No, nobody. I haven't done one either. I think they look horrendous. But um, I've got a friend that does them quite often, and she will post pictures afterwards on her social media. And one of the things I've noticed is that, that she will have come through a particularly challenging stretch, and of course she'll be covered in mud, but then she will be able to pull someone else out of the mud. Now, she's clearly been through what they've just been through, and seeing her covered in mud is almost what gives her the credentials to pull someone else out. 
when they see that she's now on sure footing, they have confidence to lean on her, allow her to take the weight and to be pulled out by her. And this to me is what it looks like to receive comfort from the God of endless comfort and then to comfort others. Because the man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief and still bearing the scars of his crucifixion, is the one who reaches down from on high to take hold of us. We can lean on him and we know that his comfort is true because we can see, if you like, that he is still covered in mud. We know of his scars. We read of his pain, his sorrow, his anguish. This is how we can arise and shine even in the darkness because as he chooses to lift us to safety, as he chooses to come alongside us in our suffering so we can help to lift others. We may still be sorrowful, we will still be covered in mud, but as he brings us to a place of firm footing so we can help draw others to a place of firm footing in him. You know, I've long realized that the parts of my testimony and my story that connect most with the people around me are always the stories of, of challenges, of suffering, and of how God has sustained me in those times. And one really clear example of this was about a year ago when I was working in Nottingham. And I had a really nice colleague there, and he and I chatted about all sorts of things, life, the universe, and everything. And, you know, in lots of ways, he had the upper hand on critical thinking, philosophy, possibly even theology. I remember when we first started chatting, and he found out I was a Christian, he said to me very quickly, oh, my best friend since medical school is a Christian, so I know all the stuff. I've been to church. You know, in other words, don't waste your breath. I've heard it all before. And we chatted for a while, and he was pleasant, but he was really totally disengaged. But there was a really clear moment where things shifted. Um, he asked me about how I became a Christian, and we started to talk about other things. Um, it led on to talking about the loss of my mum. And he was, I remember so clearly, because he was typing away at the computer, and he stopped what he was doing, and he turned around and looked at me, and he said, so the person who prayed with you to become a Christian, who introduced you to the Christian faith, and the person that you loved the most was the first person that God took away from you. How do you make sense of that? And I don't remember what I said. I just remember praying that God would help me to give a good answer. But what I do remember is that the whole conversation changed after that because he realized that I too was covered in mud, that I too had scars, and it hit differently because so did he. And so it meant something different. It was no longer about hypothetical arguments. It was simply my story, the word of my testimony, the light shining in the darkness. You see, we have something that this world needs, this endless comfort in the middle of the darkness. So we can arise and shine because God is our comforter. Secondly, we can arise and shine because God is our provider. Psalm 23, we know it well. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod to protect and your staff to guide. They comfort and console me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed and refreshed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy and unfailing love shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell forever in the house and in the presence of the Lord. While this psalm is well-known and well-loved for good reason, and David talks about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. As one commentator reminds us, it is somewhere he walks through. 
It's not a final destination. And because of what Jesus has done for us, the valley of the shadow of death is not where we stay. It might well be our lived experience. We might walk through it once, more than once, but it's not where we stay because death is defeated. And so as we think about how we can arise and shine in the middle of our struggles, I love this image that David paints of a table being prepared. And as we zoom in on the words, he says, you prepare for me. And that word prepare speaks, I think, not just of God's provision, but of his forethought and planning, that God is thinking of us in the middle of the tough times and the challenges. As the prophet Jeremiah quotes to an exiled people of Israel, for I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Isn't it incredible that this God of the universe would think thoughts towards you and towards me. And so he considers us. He doesn't love us from a distance. He loves us so closely. So that preparation, I believe, is not generic, that God provides exactly what we need right in the middle of our struggles. And so by way of demonstration, I thought I'd prepare a table today. And if, you're, if you know the person, you will know who I'm thinking of as I prepare this table. So first of all, we need a tablecloth a Macclesfield Town shirt. There we go. We already know who it is. Some Werther's Originals. And some Twiglets. I'm not promoting any of these brands, by the way. And um, some popcorn. It's only because this is for John Owen, my husband. And it's only because I know him so well that I could prepare the table for him. And I firmly believe that what God prepares for us in terms of his provision for us is personal because he's a personal God and he knows exactly what you need in the middle of the darkness. So there's the prepare. And then it's a table. I wrote in my notes, a table, not a drive-through. The preparation of a table, it's a meal, it's a banquet. It's somewhere where God is inviting us to sit and to stay and to experience his provision even in the middle of the darkness, even in the place that we would probably want to escape in the natural. Sometimes our trials and our struggles last much longer than we would want them to, and we can wonder if God hasn't heard our cry. Perhaps he's simply preparing a table for us. Perhaps he wants us to see that we can experience his goodness, his protection, right in the middle of those places. And then in the presence of my enemies, Sometimes we might want the table, but in the presence of our friends, when things are going well. And of course, God provides for us in those scenarios. But isn't it wonderful that he also provides for us in the presence of our enemies, in the middle of the challenges, in full view of those who might be out for our harm. And some of us may feel that we have actual enemies, people that are out for our harm. Some of us may simply feel that the situations that we are in are oppressive. But this is a God who provides for us out of the abundance of his riches. So whatever you need in the middle of the valley, he provides it for you. Whether it's shelter, whether it's hope, whether it's comfort, safety, peace of mind, strength, he has it for us in abundance. My cup overflows. And it's evident to all those around us. And it made me think about one of the songs that we sing, Raise a Hallelujah. I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm, Louder and louder, you're going to hear my praises roar. Up from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated. The king is alive. When we arise and shine 
in the darkest valley, in the presence of our enemies, we bring a countercultural response to hardship and suffering that can point people to Jesus. And you know, around this room, there will be people who have walked through that valley of the shadow of death and protected by his rod and guided by his staff, you have been able to arise and shine right where you are. Be encouraged that the brilliance of his glory is all over you and your story. And as we walk through the valley, I love that last verse because what's coming behind us is the provision of his goodness and his mercy and his unfailing love. We have something that the world needs, this endless provision in the middle of the darkness. And finally, we can arise and shine because God is our hope. 2 Corinthians 1.7 says, Now our hope for you is unshakable because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in God's comforting strength. We can find hope and joy and purpose right in the middle of our struggles. I want to tell you about an incredible man called Nick Vujicic. Um, Nick entered this world born without arms or legs. His parents were Australian pastors and they were devastated by their firstborn son's condition. If God is a God of love, they said, then how could he do something like this to us? But they chose to trust God despite their questions. Nick struggled at school where he was bullied and rejected by other children. At that stage in my childhood, he says, I could understand God's love to a point, but I still got hung up on the fact that if God really loved me, why did he make me like this? I wondered if I'd done something wrong and began to feel certain that this must be true. Thoughts of ending his own life plagued a 15-year-old Nick until one day he read the story in John 9 about the man born blind, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. And something changed for him. He became a Christian. He committed his life to Christ. He went on to earn a bachelor's degree. He set up an incredible organization called Life Without Limits. And he is an amazing advocate and champion for the causes of all those who might have a range of disabilities. He uses his voice and his story in incredible ways. Due to the emotional struggles I'd experienced with bullying, self-esteem, and loneliness, Nick says, God began to instill a passion of sharing my story and experiences to help others cope with whatever challenge they might have in their lives. Turning my struggles into something that would glorify God and bless others, I realized my purpose. The Lord was going to use me to encourage and inspire others to live to their fullest potential and not let anything get in the way of accomplishing their hopes and dreams. God's purpose became clearer to me. And now I'm fully convinced and understand that his glory is revealed as he uses me just the way I am. And even more wonderful, he can use me in ways that others can't be used. I think that's just incredible. And I love that God met Nick right in the middle of the darkest moment, the point at which he thought life was not worth living anymore. There is, we talk often about our future hope, but there is a present hope that can be found right in the middle of the struggle. And this means that we can arise and shine even in the darkness. Nick still doesn't have his limbs, but I'm so encouraged by his final statements in particular and wonder if someone might need to hear them again. God's purpose became clearer to me and now I'm fully convinced and understand that his glory is revealed as he uses me just the way I am. And even more wonderful, he can use me in ways that others can't be used. I pray that you too, right in the middle of the darkness, will become convinced of the brilliance of God's glory around you. 
And even more than this, that because of who you are and where you are and how you are, that he can use you in ways that others simply cannot be used. Arise and shine, for your light has come. The writer of Lamentations puts it like this. I'm reading from the message. I'll never forget the trouble, the utter lostness, the taste of ashes, the poison I've swallowed. I remember it all. Oh, how well I remember the feeling of hitting the bottom. But there's one other thing I remember, and remembering I keep a grip on hope. God's loyal love couldn't have run out. His merciful love could not have dried up. They're created new every morning. How great is your faithfulness? I'm sticking with God. I say it over and over. He's all I've got left. Clinging to that hope in the middle of the darkness is what keeps us going. So we have that present hope, but we also have a future hope. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, stripping off every unnecessary weight and the sin which so easily and cleverly entangles us, let us run with endurance and active persistence the race that is set before us, focusing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of faith, the first incentive for our belief and the one who brings our faith to maturity, who for the joy of accomplishing the goal set before him endured the cross, disregarding the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, revealing his deity, his authority, and the completion of his work. Just consider him who endured from sinners such hostility so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Joy enables us to endure. Because of the joy set before him, Jesus was able to endure the cross. Now let's be very clear. There is no intrinsic joy in a slow, painful death by asphyxiation. And Jesus' anguish is clear to us as we read the Bible. But he had a joy set before him, the joy of accomplishing the goal for which he came, our salvation. And that joy set before him stopped all of that pain, all of that suffering, all of that loneliness and heartache in the Garden of Gethsemane from being fruitless. The joy set before Jesus gave his suffering purpose. You know, this side of eternity, we are not going to get all of the answers. Not all of the pieces of the puzzle will make sense. But there is a joy set before us which can bring purpose to our journey if we do not grow weary and lose heart. The joy of our salvation, as David puts it in Psalm 51. The joy of eternal life, John 3:16. The joy of going home to our Father's house, John 14. The joy of joining those who have gone before us, Hebrews 12. The joy of knowing that one day he will wipe away every tear from our eyes because the old order will have passed away, Revelation 21. The joy of knowing that one day we will see in full, 1 Corinthians 13. That is the thing which gives us a future hope in the darkness. Otherwise, we simply face the possibility of wasted hurt and wasted pain. But our God never wastes anything. So we can arise and shine through our struggles and through our suffering because we have an unshakable hope, a hope that simply cannot disappoint us because it is placed in the one who was and is and is to come, the one who is the beginning and the end, the one of whom it is written, what he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. That is our hope this morning. And so you see the difference between 
our hurt and the hurt of those around us is the unshakable hope that we have. And just as Paul writes, we can bring that same comfort to others that has been poured out to us and shine light into the dark places of the lives of others around us. For the comfort pouring into us empowers us to bring comfort to others. I want to encourage us all this morning that we are not where we are by accident and the people around you need your story, the comfort you have received, the provision you have known, the hope that you have, the radiance and the brilliance of God's glory all around your life and your journey is exactly what a world full of darkness needs. 2 Corinthians 4, 6-7 says, For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we would know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. It makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. I'm just going to invite Amy Turner up to share something around that scripture with us. Thanks, Amy. Okay, hello, everyone. Um, we um, had a worship night, and she shared that scripture with us, and I had, like, a picture that I wanted to share with Phoebe, and then she said, oh, I think that'd be great for my preach, and I was like, okay. <laughs> so here I am, um, and I don't know if you know, but you probably, if you don't know me, then you won't know that I love stuff to do with Japan. <laughs> and I'm really interested in their culture and their language and what they believe. And one of the things that they're into is something called kintsuki. If you don't know what that is, it's basically when a pot is broken and they will basically repair it using lacquer and gold. So it's like they're using its floor and they're still reusing that pottery. So I'm just going to read a few things about it. And yeah, so basically, Kintsuki is about embracing the imperfect. It takes time, it can be about three months um, for a pottery to be fully repaired. And being broken, it's not a bad thing in this Kintsuki. So basically, all of us, we develop scars, don't we? And throughout, that's throughout our entire lives. But these, they shouldn't be hidden. While our imperfections can be the birth of something new. Restoring broken things with lacquer and decorating the cracks of the gold is the way that the Japanese will restore those precious parts. And the way that I see it is that God is the gold lacquer of our lives. He is restoring you. Amen. And those cracks that we want to hide, God is going, no, let's use them. Let's use those flaws to help others, just what, like what Phoebe's been preaching, you know, we need to make sure that, yes, we have these flaws that sometimes are scary to share, but they can make a big difference because God is the one that is there. It's not us, it's God. God's covered them with his gold and his glory, and he is the one that is going to make the difference. Um, Something that, that really I really love is a, another term called wabi-sabi, just because it sounds great, but also because <laughs> it says, uh, it basically means the beauty in imperfection. So it's about seeing yourself, that you have imperfections, but there's beauty in that. And I think that's really powerful. So yeah, that's what I wanted to share with you today.
thank you so much for sharing that, Amy. That's brilliant. And just out of interest, I was saying to Amy earlier, I, I was tempted to buy a Kintsugi jar just by way of demonstration, but I couldn't because they were so expensive. Because the gold that is used to cover the cracks makes them so valuable, so worth something. And I think that's such beautiful imagery as we think about what God can do in and through us in our story. So, arise and shine because God is our comforter, the God of endless comfort, the man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief is the one who comes alongside you in your suffering. Arise and shine because God is our provider. Right where you are in the middle of the darkness, he purposefully, lovingly and intentionally can provide us with everything we need. And arise and shine because God is our hope. He is our present hope that we cling on to, that we keep a grip on in the middle of the darkness, but he is also our future hope. May his comfort, his hope, and his provision overflow in your life as you share your story with those he has placed around you. We're going to stand together now and sing Cornerstone, and then we're going to take some time to respond.